Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. My guest today is Andy Aitken, a young entrepreneur who in March 2019 left a successful career in the corporate world to co-found Honest Mobile, the UK's first and only carbon neutral mobile network. From the outset, Andy's plan has been to challenge and change the way a mobile phone company works. Frustrated by the hidden costs, empty promises and complicated contracts of the UK's major companies, Andy sought to create a company that lives up to its name and is a force for good by balancing profit and planet and even planting trees for its customers. Honest Mobile is also a certified B Corp, which is a topic we explored in a podcast with Annie Tallboys in April. Have a listen to that if you want to understand more about what a B Corp is and how you can become one. For now though, I'm sure you're keen to hear how Andy managed to take on the UK's mobile phone giants. So in this podcast, Andy reveals the early challenges that convinced him he could successfully start a mobile company. It sort of filled us with confidence at the same time as being hugely concerning. Um, Because if we could overcome that, it felt like we'd beaten 99% of the market already because this was considered the market leader. Talks about the networking opportunities being a B Corp has created. We're starting to talk to other B Corps in the consumer space and see kind of who their customers are. And again, a really good route if you know you've got another B Corp consumer business who has got a bunch of customers who are interested in their product. Um, there's often a complimentary opportunity. And recalls his, at times, audacious technique for finding investors studied his LinkedIn posts for three months on how to approach and what to include and what a good pitch deck looked like and what doesn't look like and um, eventually was like well I've got all these great ideas but I really do actually need to send him a message. If you want to know more about Evolve and the services that we offer then please do take a look at evolvemembers.com but for now let's get on with the show. Welcome, Andy, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's great to have you on. I'm really keen to hear about your story in terms of Honest Mobile, how you co-founded that, your plans, your hopes, your aspirations, and what the business is all about. But also want to touch on your own personal journey during the course of this conversation. So I suppose you need to start with you left university, went to Deloitte, spent over seven years with Deloitte, qualified as an accountant. Uh, worked in their kind of owner-managed kind of high-growth team and then left to start your own mobile phone company, Honest Mobile. So how did that come about? How did you make the jump? Uh, Yeah, an interesting one. So um, Deloitte is a great place to train, a great place to work, to be honest. Um, And it's a a business of 40,000 people in the UK, so it's not exactly small by any stretch of the imagination um but it's uh it's one of those businesses where you spend all of your time talking to businesses um and i guess the moment came 
um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Deloitte. But the moment came where um, I wanted to go and do it myself, um, working in that owner-managed team, team called Propel. Um, we worked with a lot of high-growth startups, and I helped to set up that team. So I kind of had half of the experience of running a business, but not not the whole hog, I suppose. And um, one of the reasons that I wanted to leave was to you know get more control. To be honest, um, mm. inside Deloitte, we were we were a we were a team. We were an operating center. We had a profit. PNL that I ran, um, but we also had some constraints. You know, we yeah. were a, a regulated business. We uh, had a lot of people. We did audits of FTSE 100 companies, and you know, there's certain risk procedures that obviously come with yeah. that, which don't necessarily fit with trying to onboard 10, 50, 100 new businesses a month. Um, you know, you can't necessarily run social media how you might want to. No. You can't do the marketing the way you might want to. Um, and, and change is just difficult in a big business. So um, I guess I'd seen lots of businesses. I'd seen lots of great businesses. I'd seen some businesses that I um, thought were less exciting, um, yeah. but had still managed to go out and raise money from investors. And uh, yeah, I guess I thought... Um, I had an idea on this mobile and um, I thought there was real potential, um, had a co-founder, Josh, and um, it felt like the right time to go and do something on our own. Okay. I mean, is Josh from a similar background or has he come from a, a different perspective? Uh, no. So we, we actually know each other from school. So we've known each other okay. since we were 11. Um, so uh, yeah, we'd had different experiences though professionally. So um Josh has never worked for a big business. He's always worked um, in startups, uh, generally in startups he's founded. Um, so he's kind of been through the fundraising journey and the working okay. on your own, not knowing anyone, not having anyone yeah. helping. Um, so he came to it from really different angles. Um, he he'd previously worked in one other telco-related uh, startup. So he'd seen, you know, the sort of power that, a network has when you're trying to negotiate with them as a supplier um, and seeing the amount of money that they can generate and some of the business practices that they use, yeah. um, which I shan't get into in too much detail. Um, and I'd, I'd seen it from the other side, you know, I'd worked with some of those big businesses as one of their, as, as an auditor, as an investigator, as an accountant. Um, and so we both kind of seen telco, but from very different sides of the spectrum. So it's quite interesting to come back together with that underlying friendship, but with those complementary skills. And how, obviously, must be quite a strong friendship. How have you found being in business with a old school friend? Uh, yeah, it's really good. Um, so we we were very close friends, um, kind of 16, 17, 18. Um, we you know, kind of drifted apart, I suppose, during university. We were opposite ends of the country. Um, yeah. And um, even through the first few years of professional life, I suppose, um, I was in London, Josh was in Glasgow, still different ends of the country, didn't see each other yeah. very much. Uh, but whenever we did, um, you know, always really enjoyed meeting up. And um, it was actually one evening we met in the pub and we started talking about our different telecoms experience and sort of stumbled on this idea for Honest Mobile. Okay. Um, but no, it's great working together. We set up Honest, we started talking about Honest, I guess, in 2018. Um, at the start of 2020, Josh was my best man at my wedding. So um, still, okay. still, still good strong. friends. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I mean, it obviously has pros and cons. You know, you, you you know that person really well. 
um, you know what pushes their buttons, you know that they know what pushes your buttons. Um, we're really lucky in that we have fairly complementary skill sets. So I'm probably the opposite ones of what you were expecting. Um, okay. So I'm I'm really good at getting kind of eighty percent of problems done. I like doing quick, dirty solutions. Um, whereas Josh is a, a complete perfectionist. Um, okay. And so between us, we actually are quite good at doing stuff quite well, quite quickly. Yeah. Um, but probably the not the way you'd rate way around you'd expect it, given I'm an accountant. Um, <laughs> not no, all works, accountants works really are the same. Well. <laughs> no, no. The reputation <laughs> stands for some, not for others. Um, but yeah, it, it works really well. And it's quite interesting. So a business that started over a pint in a pub, that's quite an often a kind of story. Uh, and, and that complementary skill set, I think, is really interesting. But one of the things, perhaps, um, you know, startup ambitious plans, are you clearly from what you've just said, you are also a believer that deal with the problems, deal with them quickly, deal with the 80%, kind of get perfect a little bit later on down the line, or hand off to somebody to kind of put the shine on it is that kind of your philosophy is that how you've been able to move fast with honest mobile because i think you see some startups stumble a little don't they and never really get the traction yeah i think that's um that's fair for us definitely um i think we are still in the phase where we are we're testing stuff all the time um to find exactly what people want exactly what works for people um there's different constraints all the time, whether that's financial or regulatory or commercial. Um, and so we're kind of playing with all of these different levers to um, to optimize the business, I guess. But I wouldn't I wouldn't want to stretch the imagination and say we found the right answer. But I think the fact that we're willing to try um, and test things quickly um, yeah. puts us in a really good position. And certainly compared to the competition who are much bigger businesses who aren't in a position to do that no and I, I've, I've read a little bit about the business and your aspirations and you talk about wanting to do what likes of monzo and revolut have done for the finance industry and bulb have done for the energy industry you really see clearly see that there's the opportunity to do that in telecoms yeah that was that was the crux of our conversation over the pint really um okay. was that um telecoms is enough um yeah. Nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, oh, I really love my mobile network. Let's keep it anonymous. Um, <laughs> but people genuinely wake up in the morning and are excited to see their Monzo notification or yeah. wake up in the morning and post on a Facebook group that their bold um, referral codes refreshed so they can refer another three members and people fight over it. Yeah. Um, and that is not something you see with British gas, let's be honest. No. Um, so we thought there was a really great opportunity to yeah, build build something that people loved. And that meant lots of different things. It meant, you know, looking out for the customer. It meant creating a brand that was more engaging. It meant not just playing in a race to the bottom or a superficial race to the bottom, mm. which isn't actually good value in the even short term quite often. Yeah. Um, and so we thought that there was, yeah, definitely an opportunity there. And sort of Monzo is the obvious comparison in banking. Bulb is the obvious comparison in utilities. Um, and we, we really do see a lot of similarities with those businesses. And we, you know, we have some common investors. We've got some current common um, advisors. And um, I think there's a lot of similarities there in terms of the kind of trajectory we can take. The nice thing for us um, 
that makes us more like a bulb than a Monzo is that we're a paid product and people are used to paying for it. It's not like we've suddenly invented renting music and we want people no. to pay for a Spotify subscription that they don't really understand 10 years ago. Um, you know, people already have a monthly bill that comes out of their account. They're kind of annoyed about that. Um, it keeps going up. Um, yeah. They don't understand their bills. Um, and so if we can reduce that bill, if we can make it easier to understand, if we can make the experience better, if we can improve the customer service, if we can be more sustainable, uh, feels like there's a great business there. There's a win to be had there. And so what have been the challenges in the sort of two years that you've really been running at the business? Um, I guess the, the the first challenge was setting up a mobile network, which is okay. a fairly audacious goal. Um, and, you know, we didn't actually know that that could be done. We we hoped it could be done. We knew okay. that GIFGAF existed. We knew that Smarty existed. We knew there were these, they're called virtual networks. They they piggyback on the infrastructure of the big four networks. piggyback off the big four network. Exactly. So the big four are 3, EE, O2 and Vodafone, and we piggyback on three's infrastructure. So it means when you dial a phone number, try to use the internet, send a text message, that traffic gets handled by three. And um, that's great because they're a massive listed company. They know how to yeah. run a mobile phone network. Um, it gives us a huge amount of confidence in the um, integrity, the strength, um, the throughput of the network. Um, so we piggyback on their infrastructure. We knew that was possible. We knew other people did that, but we didn't really know how much else how? we needed to do. <laughs> how exactly? <laughs> you phone them up and say, "I'd like to have fifty thousand SIM cards, please," um, which is pretty much what you do. <laughs> um, but the, the 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 most difficult bit, I suppose, was they you know they're willing to work with you and you know, obviously have your commercial conversations, but then there's loads of stuff that we have to do. So you know, we wanted this great experience for customers where. They could manage their account in the app. They could get live support in the app. They could see their data usage in real time. We could send them a notification if they made a chargeable phone call. Um, and bizarrely, no one else was doing this. So, you know, we were going out to other suppliers saying, oh, we need a, a system for processing call records so we can work out how much to charge you. You know, we need a billing platform to all yeah. intents and purposes. And, you know, people coming back saying it was going to be 750 grand for something that we were like, we're a, we have we're no money. Up. Like we're a startup. <laughs> like I was hoping you might say it was five grand. Um, yeah. Maybe that was unrealistic. Oh, here's one that somebody's got before and here is a subscription to use it type thing. Well, yeah. exactly. Um, and that was pretty much what the 750 grand one was anyway. Um, wow. But it was, you know, it was unbelievably expensive. But even for that 750K, it was a system that looked at what you'd been doing once every day. So you got an account update every 24 hours. It was, it had no like integrations with third party systems. So we couldn't build an app on top of it. We couldn't send notifications. We couldn't integrate with, you know, a modern credit card handling solution. We couldn't integrate with a direct debit provider we wanted to work with. We had to go kind of fully into their solution. And, you know, you looked at it online. They had a web portal that they were very proud of and was considered cutting edge in the industry. And it looked like something you'd run on Windows 95. Um, and just, I guess that was kind of, it sort of filled us with confidence at the same time as being hugely concerning. Um, because if we could overcome that, it felt like we'd beaten 99% of the market already because this was considered the market leader. Yeah. Um, now maybe they weren't the right people to work with at our 
point in our journey but um it was you know it was, it was just crazy to see what it was and how clunky it was um and so we decided we were going to have to build it ourselves I was going to say, do you see yourselves as a tech business or a telecoms business? So we we saw ourselves two and a half years ago as a telecoms business, but now we see ourselves very much as a tech business. And we've built um, a back-end telephony platform and a front-end app, which at the moment integrates with three in the UK and lets us um, have customers in the UK. But if we wanted to launch in the US, we'd have to add a US network, let's say AT&T, but barely anything else. We'd be able to use the same app. We'd be able to use the same billing platform. We could license, you know, there's all sorts of things we could do. Um, so that's the scalability piece. That... That's where the scalability comes. And because we've, um, because we focus really hard on customer service, this question comes up a lot. And um, people say, well, that, okay, fine. The tech's scalable, but how do you scale the customer support? You know, we're, mm. Often the top rated network on Trustpilot, we hover around um, at the top or in the top two always. Um, and you know, people say, well, how are you gonna manage that? The other guys, are they're a big B2B sales provider. They've got account managers, they've got sales reps, they've got customer success teams. Um, how, how do you scale up into the business? And it's the same answer really. It's that we, we've let customers manage their accounts. So if they want to leave, they can leave. Yeah. If they want to change plan up or down, they can change plan. If yeah. they want to understand a charge on their bill, well, often they don't because rather than getting a bill eight weeks after they made that phone call, we've sent them a notification two seconds after they finished that phone call. They're like, oh yeah, phoned British Airways' yeah. premium number. And that was stupid. Yeah, um, I'll do that again. <laughs> but at least, at least now I understand why my bill's got an extra four pounds on it this month. Um, and so we kind of remove all of that account management and kind of day-to-day -day queries, which was, you know, 80% of what people asked us. And we get left with the stuff that's actually difficult, which means yeah. that we don't need a massive support team. Um, we do all of our support through instant chat in the app, which is what our customers love. Um, it's not for everyone. No. Um, but, you know, our oldest customer is 98 and she loves it. Um, but it's great because it means you get in touch, we'll respond to you consistently in under 30 seconds and if we need to go away and do something we'll go away and do it we'll get back to you and you don't have to hang around on hold waiting for us to um find the answer so so that's how we scale the support side of the business is is removing a huge amount of the rubbish that yeah. normally a call center would have to handle um and, and it works and you are taking on you know the you know, the telecom sector is just dominated by very large companies. How have they reacted to you? Or are you just an irritant at the moment and maybe there's no reaction yet? Well, so it's an interesting one because the sort of wholesale half of their businesses are, are pure margin businesses to all intents and purposes. Yeah. They're, they're massive fixed cost businesses that run masts and build infrastructure. That's yeah. their you know, big cost base. And so if they can eat out an extra... 100,000 subscribers, million subscribers, 5 million subscribers on that same fixed cost base. They're really excited. So so the the virtual operators are actually really good business for them. Um, yeah. So sadly, we're neither an irritant nor, a, nor an exciting <laughs> thing to be fighting over yet. Um, but where we have um, 
had some interesting engagement from them is around sustainability. So um, we, we set up the business two years ago and we kind of felt like any business getting set up in 2019 ought to be sustainable. Why would you not be? Mm. Um, You're not going to go out. I wouldn't go out of my way to set up a bad business um, where we treated employees badly or we took advantage of customers or we polluted the planet unnecessarily. And you've got that opportunity as a startup, haven't you? You know, if you're an existing business, you know, you're trying to transcend, you might have the right motives and do the right things, but transcending and remapping and shaping an existing business can be difficult, can't it? But you're right. You had that blank piece of paper, that great opportunity. Yeah. And so we went through the B Corp assessment process on like day three of having the business. And we sort of used it as a benchmark for best practice. So they said, um, what's your maternal, what's your parental leave policy? And we were like, well, it's me and Josh and we don't have one. We haven't um, <laughs> we, exactly. Um, you know, clearly it's a good thing to think about that before it's, yeah. you know, someone's phoning us up saying I'm about to have a baby and what's, what's your parental leave policy. So, so we kind of went through a lot of this quite grown up stuff quite early. Um, but because it was early, the blank piece of paper and we could do what we wanted. Um, and one of the things we wanted to do was be a carbon neutral business um, yeah. because there is a climate crisis and we want to do our part in trying to mitigate that. And, and technology is a sector that's not really talked about very much in the context of the climate crisis, yeah. but creates as much carbon emissions as global aviation and is the fastest growing emitter of carbon. Um, you know, it's a lot smaller than transport. It's a lot smaller than uh, real estate but it is the fastest growing and it's still a material amount um so we decided we wanted to be a carbon neutral business and we looked at the emissions that we were generating directly through our office and things like that we looked at our indirect supply chain um, through the sort of usage that we were making of three's network and what does it take to charge up a phone every night for one of our customers and you know, we, we calculated um based on sound science um book called mike a book by mike berners lee called uh, how bad are bananas um, okay. which looks at kind of the everyday footprint of um lots of different activities um and he's a he's a leading climate scientist and the brother of tim berners lee so i was gonna say the name sounds familiar yeah. high-flying family that one very much very um so we used a lot of his research and you know we calculated the, the footprint of our business and our customers and, and we chose to where possible remove the carbon from that. But the reality is we rely on an awful lot of third parties, whether that's yeah. Royal Mail for shipping a SIM card or um, a SIM card manufacturer for producing a SIM card or three for running a network. Um, we have not much control over that. So where possible, we've shifted to carbon neutral or renewable energy or changed supplier to a more sustainable option. Um, but the reality is that we are left with a footprint which we need to offset and so we offset that through three different ways um planting trees a technology called biochar where we put carbon back into the ground and actually helps um soil biodiversity and direct air capture is sucked out of the air and pumped into the ground in iceland um it's really cool but by doing all of that we became the uk's first carbon neutral mobile network um and then this year we actually became carbon negative. So we now offset twice as much as we create. And each time we've talked about that, every time we talk about that publicly, um, 
the only comparison across the whole of the industry is with O2, who have committed to getting to net zero by 2025. Um, nobody else in the industry has has made any commitments beyond the Paris Agreement, and I think that will change. I think um, consumers and businesses alike will both demand change more quickly, and particularly, you know, these you know these these big networks are predominantly consumer brands and it's yeah. not going to be a like sustainable business decision to not do more more quickly but um it leaves us as the first in the uk uh with o2 being the second and um, every time we talk about it o2 gets in touch and sort of tries to fact check something we say or, or kind of update a blog post um and it's uh i feel like there might be um uh jealousy there i don't know it's a, it's a really easy it's a weird um, one isn't it you just think you'll just get on and make your, your their own business better and their own business more carbon neutral and and accelerate the 2025 plan but you know yeah, instead they'll just become a nuisance to you and annoyance to you and not even you know, let you get on and do your thing in, in o2's defense you know they are they're being really aggressive and it's really impressive what they are doing and they have the added complication of Running they do have the control over their energy supply yeah. chain. Um, so, you know, them saying that they need, a, I don't know how much, uh, several megawatts of energy every day that's renewable is a lot more difficult than us yeah. saying we need yeah. an office's worth. Um, and so they're doing really well. They're like, they're moving the industry ahead. Um, but that's certainly where we get the most engagement is kind of around our sustainability credentials. Um, what we're doing, how we do it. Um, that, that does get some interest from the, the sort of industry bigwigs, as it were. Really interested also to explore, you've mentioned the B Corp, you know, and how that made you a better business. And you went through this, the kind of certification process and all of that kind of things. Do you see that as a growing movement? I mean, what's been the benefits that you've seen about, you know, other than that upfront piece, what other benefits have you seen from being a B Corp? Um, so I think the benefits are um, at the moment, mostly in the employer space and the B2B space. So I think it makes us a much better employer and I think it helps us understand what best practice looks like. And all of our team is really excited about being a B Corp. Um, and excited about meeting other B Corps, other particularly other consumer B Corps, because it's a bit more niche. So the kind of big ones that people have heard of will be Innocent Drinks, Patagonia. Um, then there's lots and lots of smaller businesses who've gone through the process, you know, chocolate brands, health supplement brands, um, all sorts of things. Um, and it's a really strong community of businesses who want to use business as a force for good um and so there's about 500 just over 500 in the uk now um over 4,000 globally and one of the big benefits we've seen is is that network effect so if other b corps are looking for a new mobile phone supplier we are a really obvious yeah. choice um and so we've seen some really positive successes there made sales let's be blunt about it yeah um there's always got to be a commercial return to all of these things, hasn't there? Exactly. Ultimately. Um, and so that's been really great. Um, it's really great for, um, yeah, learning what best practice looks like as a as an employer, um, as a brand. Um, 
because we don't have a you know, we don't have an HR team or a people team. That's very much me and Josh um, okay. building that, and you know, we've not come from that background. Like I've managed teams, but I've always had a big HR department to yeah. help with kind of the policies and always what been it there looks in the like. Background, isn't exactly. It? Yeah. Um, but I think what's happening is that consumers are becoming more and more aware of it and wanting to make better buying decisions. So Boots has just set up a B Corp aisle in Boots stores where you can go and buy like B Corp cosmetics. Um, Ocado has a B Corp store online and so does Waitrose where you can buy B Corp food products. Um, and we're seeing more and more consumers kind of become aware that there's this thing yeah. called B Corps and they're good businesses. Um, and we're starting to talk to other B Corps in the consumer space and see kind of who their customers are. And again, a really good route. If you know you've got another B Corp consumer business who has got a bunch of customers who are interested in their product, um, there's often a complementary opportunity um, in both directions um, to spread the message about another bit of their life that they don't know they might be able to shift to a kind of more yeah. more sustainable choice. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can understand that and see that and I can see those benefits. You spoke earlier also about funding. So obviously you must, you know, you've got some audacious plans, you've got growth plans for Honest Mobile. Um, at what point did you, so, you know, for any of our listeners listening that are thinking about funding and all of those kind of things, at what point did you and Josh sit down and really know that you needed funding and then go and seek funding and what were your experiences in doing so andy um so we've been through two rounds of funding um the first was a friends and family round um so just a real seed kind of round to get you off the ground yeah um i'd probably call it our, if we go in with seed i'd probably actually call it our pre pre-seed round okay um so that was that was very early and um, we probably did um, six months of work, completely unpaid. Um, didn't didn't have any cash in the bank. Yeah. Spent money on credit cards. Um, and then after about six months, we had a phone that said Honest Mobile in the top corner, which was yeah. fairly important for raising money. <laughs> yeah. um, we had a very very ugly app that let you turn a SIM card on and off, and that was about it. And we went out and raised some money from friends and family who who knew us and, and you know, often okay. that is the easiest way to, to get some initial capital. And we are very lucky that we were able to do that, obviously. Um, and that saw us through to June 2020, so June of last year. Well, actually saw us through to December of last year. But we okay. were planning on raising some more money Um over summer last year okay. um, and we actually had some kind of anchor investors lined up um, to come in sort of, yeah, in about June. Um, then along came COVID and um, put Spanner in the works. Yeah, um, I think you just got deferred, I assume. Yeah, there was a lot of deferrals and we were, um, particularly if you're speaking to other kind of VC backed businesses, um, you know, venture capital funds still had money to deploy and they were still yeah. actively investing, but we weren't or hadn't been um, planning to approach funds that early we thought we wanted to kind of do some more uh smaller investment from friends and family and angels um and then go to venture capital funds later so we haven't hadn't um pursued that particularly heavily um but the angel market particularly for the first three months of covid sort of disappeared because everyone had seen their stock market portfolios plummet um 
everyone didn't know what was going on. Um, happen in the world. Angel, yeah. Angels are typically a, a more risk averse um, yeah. source of capital than a fund. Obviously, they don't have any mandate to invest. They can just no. stop if they want the to. The funds have got liquidity. Um, they need to put that liquidity in the market. If you're a, exactly. a high net worth individual and an angel, then you're going to be more cautious, aren't you? Yeah, precisely. So um, we, you know, we did on reflection, we did like a lot of work in the wrong direction for a couple of months um, in terms of how we approached that fundraise. Um, but then over autumn, things really accelerated. We found some incredible investors who wanted to get involved. Um, uh, we got uh, Monzo's first investor who came on board, which is fantastic. And we're hoping. Wow. Um, well, she is a really big believer and a big supporter, so that's great. Um, we've got early WeWork, early Uber employees. We've got loads of founders who've founded successful tech businesses um, in various different industries. And so we've built up a, a, a list of investors um, that's really brilliant, really well-networked um, and really supportive. Um, and we now have the capital to see us through to uh, around about 12 months' time. Um, okay. So we'll be doing another fundraise next year, and that is where we will start to tap on the door of some of the more established VC brands um, across Europe. And one of the questions people always ask is, how did you connect with these potential investors, you know, or the investors that have invested? Because that's quite a black book of names that uh, have supported the business. Uh, yep. So... Um a combination of different routes. I had interviewed with one of them many years ago okay. um, who offered me a job, but I didn't take the job to set up Honest in the end. So that was a good warm intro. Um, but most of them were cold approaches on LinkedIn. Um, okay. you know, um, Just being brave, having belief yeah, and being particularly, brave. Particularly um, two of them, the guys who founded Design My Night, um, which was a tech business that exited a couple of years ago. Um, Nick and Andrew now run a sort of startup incubator and an angel syndicate. And Nick is um, always posting about, you know, how to approach him. And I, I studied his LinkedIn posts for three months on how to approach and what to include and what a good pitch yeah. deck looked like and what doesn't look like. And um, eventually was like, well, I've got all these great ideas, but I really do actually need to send him a message. I can't, I can't. Just I need to keep... be brave now. Yeah, I yeah, need to like, step off the cliff. I've done all this studying. I need to actually do it and, and messaged him. And, you know, within a week, we'd had several phone calls. And he was doing a podcast at the time about investing. And I went on that and pitched him and another investor. Um, and that was where things started to mothball because um, Nick has a, Nick and Andrew have a great little black book. Okay. um and if they to introduce us to other people exactly um and particularly actually that podcast um also got lots of cold inbound inquiries as well um and as as always happens with these things we we had an amount we wanted to raise we ended up raising about double that and wow congratulations kind of, thanks we, we, <laughs> so we raised 750k in total um it took what felt like three months to get to 150, three weeks to get to 300 and three days to get to kind of 750. Wow. That is a slight exaggeration, but it's sort of, you know, it really built momentum over time. Um, and I, I still get messages from people every day saying, yeah. oh, I you know, heard you were investing. This is a podcast that came out nine months ago. Um, yeah. Sorry, I heard you were fundraising. Um, is the round still open? And I'm like, you have somewhat missed the boat by now, but um, yeah. thank you. 
Thank you for your interest. Yeah. So what if you look back now on your journey um, and you look back at your time at Deloitte and then your latter couple of years with Honest Mobile, is there anything you'd change at all? I honestly don't think there is anything I'd change. Um, I think that um, I think my time at Deloitte was really valuable. Um, mm. And I think it'd be, you know, it'd be easy for me to look back on that um, with a less positive spin in that, you know, like there were things that I learned there that won't be useful yeah. until I'm in a really big business again. Um, but there were other, there were other really good things. Like the training was incredible. And yeah. you know, I went on a three day course about how to apologize, um, <laughs> which it was not titled that, but that was the crux of the course. Um, and that sounds absurd but you know if you've messed up a million pound project that's mm. you want to apologize for that well you want to do um, it yeah and that's you know it sounds really stupid but actually that's been on it, it's something that i talk about all the time everyone i talk to i'm like oh, i went on this really crazy course about how to apologize um but i actually use it every day you know if something goes wrong with a customer yeah it's really great to say sorry and to make Hopefully. it up to them yeah. Um, and it's it's not a skill that comes naturally to many people. It didn't come yeah. naturally to me um, to do it really well. Um, and it sounds like I'm being um, like conniving at this point. I learned to apologize. It's not so much that you learn to apologize. It's that you 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 better empathize with how they're feeling. You know, if their phone's not working, their phone's not working. It doesn't matter that it's not my fault. Yeah. It doesn't matter that someone's knocked over a telephone mast as they were cutting down a tree. Like they don't care yeah. about that. Their phone's not working. It's really but that's rubbish. what the big that's what the big three would say. <laughs> it is, um, <laughs> and you know, there's there's nothing you can do about it apart no. from apologise and try and make it up to them. Um, but isn't that fundamentally what I would call client delight? That's what yes, client, that's where client delight starts from, isn't it? And that's kind of that understanding and having empathy and and Absolutely. seeing it from the customer's perspective but yeah it's in, um, it's interesting i you know I, I think i said on last week's podcast was that i spent five years at grant taunton so a similar environment to you and you know wouldn't decided that that wasn't where i was going to spend my kind of working life but i couldn't do what i do now if i hadn't spent those five years and seen the opportunities and had some of that training and development I had, and it sounds like you were very similar in your experiences with Deloitte. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the other the other kind of piece that I learned there, particularly in my latter time, you know, I spent the first half of my career in one of the kind of more traditional yeah. service lines, um, but the second half in that owner managed team was really looking at like the or really understanding what people actually want from you as a team. So, mm -hmm. You know, I went into that team thinking that we were setting up an incredible team to help owner manage businesses. Um, but, you know, some of the exec sponsors thought that team was about uh, learning how to work in the cloud. Some of them thought it was about learning how to disrupt Deloitte from the inside. Some of them thought it was about um, unpicking our risk appetite and finding out how to better juggle smaller clients and bigger clients. And, and all of those things were true. Um, but having a kind of laser focused um, agenda that everyone's aligned on, I think, 
um, I think I now appreciate that more. Um, yeah. You see I the benefit of that. Yeah. yeah. So ambitious startup, high growth, you're winning awards. You won the World Congress Award for Best Startup. That must have been, felt like a great achievement, Andy. Uh, yeah, it did. Um, we were up against um, some great other businesses. Uh, there's a network yeah. in the US called Mint Mobile, which is owned by Ryan Reynolds and has 5 million subscribers. Um, and yeah, it was, it was brilliant to win that award. Um, it, um, you know, the, the, the reason we won that award was fundamentally around our sustainability and our customer delight. Um, yeah. And both of those things are things that the industry is not really succeeding at. Um, it's not, it's not the industry's strength, that's for sure. Um, and so demonstrating that something different could be done in a new way, I think really, um, we kind of edged us over the line there. Fantastic. So, but obviously it must be very time consuming, all consuming. Do you get time to do the other things in life that you love to do? Um, yes and no. Um, okay. lockdown, lockdown has definitely not helped. Yeah. Um, it's blurred home life into work life you can probably see i'm at home at the moment um and so it's you know certainly found it more difficult to switch off over the last 18 months and we actually moved back into a new office last week um as a sort of hybrid working and that's that's helping the work-life balance um there's certain things which are you know really difficult um we offer great customer support but that means i do a lot of evening shifts um And, you know, it feels, I'm sure, like to my friends and family that every time without fail, I sit down to dinner, I immediately get my phone out and start doing some customer support. Um, the reality is it's not every time, but it's certainly yeah. sometimes. Um, so, you know, it does it does intrude. Um, it's also, I guess, I have always enjoyed a holiday. I've always enjoyed traveling and that's sort of disappeared over the last 12 months as well. So I guess that was the the way I found easiest to switch off was basically not having my phone. Yeah. Um, Just do something completely different and disappear and recharge. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Um, so again, that's, that's disappeared um, or, or, or changed a lot um, in how flexible you can be. Um, so no, the, the balance is definitely a challenge and definitely more of a challenge than it was when I was mm. an employee. Uh, it's really difficult yeah. to to switch off. Um, most of the time, that doesn't matter, but sometimes it would be really nice to have an off yeah. button. Yeah, <laughs> from time to time, it would be a pleasure, wouldn't it? But if you've got focus and passion and belief in what you do, then actually sometimes that's the natural consequence. And sometimes it's about just being, when you're doing those other things that you love, is being able to be present in the moment, isn't it? That can make a world of difference so where would you like to see um so honest mobile in 10 years time you know where do you and josh see it from here obviously ambitious startup well now well funded starting to get traction where do you want to take it so i really think we can be a global business there is not a global global mobile phone network and i think there's a really exciting opportunity to build one Okay. Um, and we've seen tech brands, even complex tech brands like a bank, um, starting to do that. So Revolut is um, expanding internationally really quickly. Uh, Wise, formerly TransferWise, is doing the same thing. 
Um, you know, these are not businesses like a Facebook where you can just no. turn it on in a new country or, or yeah. sort of, you don't need to turn it on. It's just there. Um, you know, there is complexity to launching in a new country for us um, around finding a network partner and delivery of a physical thing. Um, so there's, there's definitely work to be done there. But I think there's a really great opportunity to build a global network. But But more than that is to build a global network that, attracts customers and shows the rest of the industry um, and i mean that in the broadest sense of the tech industry that people are willing to pay a very modest premium for sustainability for privacy for mm. integrity for ethics um, and i think that there's a sort of uh renaissance is the wrong word because it's never happened before uh, a reckoning happening at the moment um, around lots of those things. So we mm. saw Apple a few weeks ago basically turn off tracking yeah. to protect people's privacy. Um, and now that that's happened, people are kind of delighted with it. Um, no one sort of understood that it was happening unless you were involved in digital marketing. Um, but if your phone pops up and says, do you want to be private or not? You're like, no, oh, yeah. I I'll want to be not private. share my data. That's great. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, that is i think the direction of travel you know um i think lots of people would prefer to not have a free product um and pay a very small amount yeah, it's just what's the price their... point isn't it depending exactly. on the industry what's the price point to not be commoditized i suppose and to be working with an, a company an organization with the right values and I suppose that's yet to shake itself out in the consumer market, isn't it? Yeah, and and we think we've got a really nice position yeah. because we are we're still a cost save for most of the UK. Um, you know, we're not we can't compete with the very cheapest sim on the market, yeah. but we're cheaper than the big four networks who have eighty plus percent market share. Yeah. Um, so for most people, um, it, it's a cost save as well as more sustainable, better service, better experience. Um, and you only need a slice of that market, don't you, to make a world of difference to your business? Well, well absolutely. Um, for our business individually, a tiny slice. Um, to demonstrate to the industry that people want change, I think we need a bigger slice, but I think, yeah. that, I think that comes with time. My final question that I always ask is, in terms of your own personal position, what does success mean to you? Uh, so we, we were talking about this in the office the other day. Um, I think... I think I certainly used to be a bit more of a mercenary when it came to kind of money being okay. what mattered. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's really changed over the last two years. Um, when we set up Honest, I said I'd feel like we'd made a success of it when stuff in the business happened and I didn't know it was happening and it was a good thing. Okay. Yeah, um, good place to be. And the other day I came into the office and there was like a whole series of meetings happening about all sorts of things that I didn't know was happening. I was like, oh, great. Is, and that felt good. It didn't freak you out. <laughs> no, I was like, this is great. Um, I, you know, I think going forward, success looks very different. Um, I think it is about making that impact and showing the industry that there's a there's an alternative there. Um, but personally, it's around building a, a team that's really excited about what we're doing. And I think that naturally leads to a great customer experience and a great product. Brilliant. Fantastic. Great response there, Andy. If people want to learn more about you and about Honest Mobile, where can they go? Uh, check us out at honestmobile.co.uk or you can download our app on the iOS or the Android app store.
Fantastic, Andy. Thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. That was a true founder's story. From the challenges of the startup and investment phase to the excitement and adrenaline of seeing the business become a reality. You really have to admire Andy's bravery and determination in taking on something as big as the mobile telecoms industry, while at the same time instilling a culture of sustainability and good business practice from the very, very beginning. I think it's incredible that he has plans to become the first global mobile phone network, and I'm looking forward to watching his progress. I also really enjoyed his story about messaging investors on LinkedIn. It might seem bold to some, but in my opinion, if you don't ask, you don't get. And honestly, the worst that can happen is someone can say no. I think his approach is a really good example for anyone looking to start a business and in need of some funding. With the right attitude, a solid business plan combined with strong values and beliefs, you never know what may happen. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter, as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve, including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space at Ashley Cross in Paul. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.